If you're like me, you enjoy spending time outdoors. And uh, there are several reasons why I like being in the wilderness. And, and, and as, as many of you know, we lived 11 years in Alaska, and some of the most beautiful scenes just imaginable that were just right outside of our window. And uh, I used to like to hike when we were in Alaska, and there's a couple of different hikes that stand out to me. One's called the Rabbit Creek Trail, so if you're going to Anchorage and you want to go on a little hike, this one's kind of, it's, it's a moderate to easy one, about five miles out to this uh, glacial lake surrounded by mountain peaks, absolutely beautiful, easy access from Anchorage. We used to do this hike a lot, and there's a little bit of a gradual incline for the first three or four miles, then kind of levels out, and just beautiful scenes all the way around you. I remember one year, I think Ashley was a senior in high school, we, we we hiked out that way, and uh, you have Flat Top Mountain, and then there's Peak 2 and Peak 3, and, and we decided we'd go up Peak 2, and uh, we, we went up, and we thought we'd be at the top, and then there was more mountain, and then we went a little further, and there was more mountain, and it seemed like it just went on and on and on forever. Didn't we see some weird animal that hike? Do you remember that? There was a goat, is what it was. There was a goat. Somebody was walking their goat. We're all the way in the middle of nowhere. This has nothing to do with nothing. We're all the way in the middle of nowhere, all the way almost to the top of this mountain, sheer, uh, very, very steep. You barely walk without touching the ground in front of you. And, and up walks this lady and her kids and a goat. I, I was like, are you doing a sacrifice up there? What are you bringing a goat for? I don't understand it. Well, it's a packing goat. How much can a goat pack? Seriously. Anyways, told you, it has nothing to do with nothing about anything. <laughs> just, just, you're with me in my memories now. So, but we sat down on the side of this mountain, and, and off to the left, you can start seeing the glacial lakes, and off to your right, you can see Peak 1, a, a flat top mountain. Off in front of you are, is another mountain range. Absolutely, everything's green, absolutely gorgeous. We're well above the tree line. And there's moments like that where it just seems, something seems special about it. Not just being with my daughter, that was great. But there's something about being in the wilderness. Another hike I only did once, and it was 24 miles, and it's, Crow, uh, it's called Crow Pass. And, and at first three miles, it's 3,000 feet of elevation gain. I was thinner then. Uh, but it was, it's a very tough, it's a difficult hike uh, to do, and we do it in a day. But we, we make it up that three miles to get to the top of the 3,000 feet of elevation gain. And off to the right, there's a glacier just right there. There's another mountain peak to your left. With it, we're up in the shale now. The rocks, the broken rocks everywhere. And even in the exhaustion of the climb we had just did, we just sit there in awe. Just in awe. There's other times where I, I like going to the beach and 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 just walking alongside the water in the earlier morning time. And you can just hear the waves beating against the shore. The, the warmth of, of the air is just starting, as the sun's just starting to come up and you can feel the warmth of the sun on your face. And, and you look out into this expanse and it just causes this sense of awe. You don't have to go to the mountains or the beach, although they're fantastic. Friday I sat uh, for a couple hours in, in a deer blind and just seeing the birds coming and going, hearing the wind coming and, it, and feeling it on my face. And then as if some miracle, you just every once in a while you'll see a deer that seems like it's materializing from nowhere. 
as they quietly come out in, in your presence. Something all of these things have in common. To me, they declare the Creator. They declare the Creator. I can't look at those things and think, wow, how lucky are we that this all happened by chance? That there's an order to all of it. And they speak. The design speaks of a designer. The creation speaks or declares the Creator. We're going to see that in our text today. In, in Romans chapter 1, we are in this series in Romans. If you missed last week, last week was our, our first uh, sermon in this series. And it was a bit of an introduction. So I gave the, the, cultural, con- or the cultural and historical context of this letter. So if you missed last week and you don't hear me talking about uh, the context that much, it's because we did that last week. So uh, go to brianfamily.com. You can go to messages or you can watch it there and get caught up. Uh, I recommend doing that so you, so you can understand this letter within its proper context. We're going to start off in Romans 1 and start in verse 18 this morning. Uh, before you, we do, would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father God, I just thank you. Thank you for so obviously revealing yourself to us through your creation. God, thank you for giving us eyes to see that. And, and God, we have this humble realization that many people see those same things and tragically miss you. God, thank you for revealing that to us and revealing yourself to us. God, as we go through your words in this letter, this letter that was written to the church in Rome and preserved for us and for our own good, inspired by your spirit. God, as we go to your word, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we may take a step closer to you today. That we may be more useful for your kingdom when we leave here than when we arrive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to jump right to Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They are without excuse. What we have here is Paul is starting to pivot. The first uh, 17 verses, if you remember the the key verses to understanding uh, Romans is, is 16 and 17. So Paul is kind of pivoting from what is said in 16 and 17 to where he's going to go here uh, for the next uh, several verses. And, and just as a reminder, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Uh, in the first several verses, Paul is talking about and setting up this argument for the righteousness of of God. And now, and now he's going to pivot. And in today's text, beginning in verse 18, he reminds us while God is righteous, man is not. Mankind is not. And as a result of God's righteousness and the unrighteousness of mankind, mankind faces God's wrath. 
Now you might ask if, if, you're, new, uh, if you're new to the Bible or, uh, or trying to understand God, you might ask, is that even fair how that God, a righteous God, would create us knowing that man would sin and become unrighteous, unrighteous and then being born into sin, being born into unrighteousness, judged severely with his wrath. Well, Paul clarifies one of the reasons why it is fair. And that reason is simply this. We are without excuse. We are without excuse. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter who, where you were born. We are without excuse. You ever catch your child doing something they, that they shouldn't be doing? Some of you are like literally 30 seconds ago, right? Of course, we, we catch our kids doing stuff all the time that they shouldn't be doing. H- have you ever caught them doing something and then they try to use uh, 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 the not guilty on the basis of ignorance defense? I-, I didn't know you didn't want me to milk the goat in the living room, Dad. Right? Maybe that was just my, no. I-, I-, I didn't know that you didn't want me to color on my walls with my crayons and my markers. Seems like a strange rule. Our, our kids do it all the time in the moment of being caught. Uh, I'm I'm not guilty. I didn't know that it was wrong. It's your fault for not telling me. Right? Do you let them get away with that? The not guilty on the basis of ignorance defense? No, of course we don't. Because some things we're just like, you know what, I don't need to spell out every single rule and expectation for you. Some of them are quite obvious. And being ignorant is no defense. Paul reminds us, that the not guilty on the basis of ignorance is not a valid defense that will satisfy the wrath of God. Again, verses 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You can open your window and what you see will declare the presence of God. Even some of His invisible attributes, if you're looking closely. The order of things. How God creates. Paul is saying here, God has made His existence clear to us. He is also saying that God has made His attributes clear. If you are seeking Him, you will find Him. He he has revealed Himself to creation through creation. Our God is a God of order. All of this creation that He has made, there is an order to it. Now, I'm not a biologist, so I can't stand here and wax eloquent on what that order is. I see one. I could have had you up, but um, uh, we do have a couple professors of biology here. I should have had them up here, and they would have done a much better job. But I I can't explain to you the order and how everything works together as well as they could. But we can understand it, right? That every little thing works together in this world. Now, when I get to heaven, I might ask God, why did you create mosquitoes? Right? In Alaska, we call that the state bird, the mosquito. Those things were the size of my hand and were just relentless and came in the millions, okay? Running rivers in Alaska, you had to wear a mask over your mouth and your nose because you would literally eat um, probably 10 pounds of bugs as you ran a river because they were so thick. I have questions. Why is that? 
But I know that all, even those little things, they're important because God has, has made this earth. He has created things with purpose and with order. Even you, even myself, He has created with order. And friends, God is a God of beauty. If you can't see the beauty all around you, you're just not trying. Even in central Ohio. <laughs> you know, I joke, but when I first moved here, I could not believe how pretty the area is. Uh, I was on a drive out to uh, Loudonville. We just first moved here and just looking around, and it's why I'm dangerous to drive with. I was looking at the hills and, and the fields and the farms and all that. I'm like, this is a beautiful place. Uh, you could be out in a desert, and there's a beauty in the desert. You, you can be in the Arctic, and everything's just white. Just white, as far as you can see. Up, down, side to side, it's white. But there's something beautiful about it, if you're inside and warm. <laughs> there's something beautiful about it. God is a God of beauty, and has created beautiful things. But God is also a God of justice, and herein lies our problem. Because we are without excuse, and he is a righteous judge. This is the narrative that Paul is setting up in this text. Again, we are without excuse. This starts, though, when we choose to ignore the existence of a righteous God. And when we choose to ignore the existence of a righteous God, our morality uh, um, falls into a tailspin. It goes from bad to worse quickly. When we become callous to sin, when we have decided in our own hearts that there is no God, things go bad very, very quickly. Have you ever been to an air show and watched the planes do all their acrobatics and their tricks? You ever watch one of those people in those little planes that kind of, they do the stall and they'll start the tailspin and at the last moment they'll kind of pull out of it? I don't know what's wrong with those people. I don't know why you would try that. Every time I'm watching, I'm like, I don't even want to look. I'm sure he's going to pull out of it, but he doesn't. It's going to be a bad day, Right? But you'll notice in those tailspins, it, things go from bad to worse as they get closer and closer to the ground. And that's the same in our walk. That is the same in, in, with mankind as far as our morality. It, as soon as we choose to kind of give up a little, a lot takes place. As soon as we harden our hearts and say there is no God, God allows our hearts to get even harder and we fall into this tailspin where things get worse and worse and worse. We see this in Romans 1, 21 through 31. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the Creator, I'm sorry, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who, that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another. <clears throat> Men committing shame, shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, 
covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This tailspin begins at the refusal that mankind, uh, the, the mankind's refusal to see a righteous God. By the way, this is kind of giving us a history of mankind up until this point that Paul is writing this letter. That you'll notice in that text the word they or their or themselves over and over again. Who is this? This is the history of humanity, of mankind. And when they, when mankind, refuses to see God, their hearts are hardened. And again, the tailspin begins as they refuse to see a righteous God. It speeds up at the decision to replace God, the Creator, with a creature, a creation. You know, somebody in your life, something in your life will be a God. Uh, For a lot of people, they'll say, no, 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 I'm agnostic or I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Well, they've made themselves God in their lives. Somebody, something will be worshipped in your life and by your life. Who or what will it be? If you choose anything other than God, the tailspin accelerates. And things move from bad to worse. This is where the wheels start to come off. Therefore, the text says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Now this text talks about, this is an important text and we need to understand it. I've given you some of the cultural, historical background already. But it talks about some things that have become um, significant conversations in our society, in our generation. By the way, they were in Rome when Paul wrote this letter as well. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. But the resulting acceleration in this tailspin leads to homosexuality among other perversions. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. I want to make it abundantly clear that Scripture over and over and throughout Scriptures makes it abundantly clear homosexuality is sin. There's no two ways about this. There's no two ways about this. Sex is to be enjoyed by a man and his wife in the context of marriage, and that is it. That is it. But homosexuality isn't the only perversion of truth that we see happening here. The text continues. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is the tailspin as it continues. You know, we as followers of Jesus Christ have been rescued from the tailspin. Sorry to ruin a couple sermons from now when we continue to go through Romans. But we've been saved from this tailspin because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These things that are mentioned, including homosexuality, which is a hot topic in our society, they need to be addressed. We cannot ignore them. We absolutely cannot ignore them. But the first place that we need to look whenever we're going to deal with sin in society is the mirror. That's the first place we need to go. God, what unrighteousness still exists in me? 
what sins are you still working out of my life? You see, if I, if I don't go there first, I'm likely to be boastful and haughty and arrogant when I address the sin of somebody else. And probably not that effective. We need to get real with ourselves. But we also need to confront sin. Uh, the third point this morning is this. Looking the other way is not an option for Christians. I'm going to irritate probably everybody in the room today at one point or another. So if you're not irritated yet, just hold on. <laughs> Looking the other way for Christians is not an option. I, I recently took this assessment that looks at conflict styles and what people typically, uh, uh, how they re, um, um, engage in conflict. And, and my primary, the thing I want to do the most is avoid it. And you might say, well, that's weak, that's cowardly. You might be right, but sometimes it's effective. Not every conflict needs to be addressed. Sometimes you can just say, you know what, we can disagree and I'll move on. But my secondary one is more of an aggressive confrontation style. So I'll be like, avoid, 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 ah, right? Anybody else like that? Anybody else's spouse like that? You want to admit? No, don't put your hand up. <laughs> Here's the thing. Conflict can be very good. We, we need to nurture healthy conflict. And that becomes a discipline. But when it comes to sin, we cannot avoid it. We cannot avoid talking about it. We, that's not our, it's not ours to, 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 to hold to ourselves. Our society, our society has made it clear that to disagree with someone is to hate them. This is awful for humanity for a multitude of reasons. But it is unacceptable for Christians to remain silent in the face of evil. Again, our motivation for confronting sin and the way that it would be done is also critical to understand. Anytime we're going to confront sin, it should start with some time in front of the mirror. You see, we, we tend to talk to people differently when we realize our own weaknesses and we become humbled by the fact that as followers of Jesus Christ indwelled with the Holy Spirit, there is a still unrighteousness that God is working out of us as we progress in this process of sanctification or becoming more like Him and more spiritually mature. See, when we realize that when we confront somebody or, or a sin that our society has said that it is okay, we need to do so with humility, understanding that they don't have the benefit of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. That they're in a tailspin and don't even realize that they haven't been rescued from that tailspin. Romans 1.32, again, that though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but get approval to those who practice them. Friends, ignoring evil is participating in evil. Silence is approval. We live in a remarkable place and a remarkable point in time. In our country, the United States of America, it is we the people who govern. This is interesting if, you, if you're a historian. I don't know of any other culture or nation that it was the people who governed the land. As Christians, we must be considered, uh, we must be considered with the law of our land and we must do what we can to ensure that the law of the land matches the law of our righteous God. We don't have a choice here. It's God's righteousness. It's His truth. As followers and servants of Him, we must declare it. 
Again, it is we the people who govern the land. How can we be silent on things that are affront to God and contrary to His holy law? The question, though, in my mind is this. How do we do that? Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into, the he- into Him who is the head into Christ. How do we do this? We speak the truth, but we do it in love. And as fallen people who have been saved by a gracious Savior, we need to do it with humility. Bathed in humility and love, we need to speak the truth. Again, ignoring evil is participating in it, and silence is approval. We need to speak up. We need to ensure that as we the people of the United States of America, that our laws reflect the laws of our righteous God. It's not our choice. It's, it's what we must do. Loving is not ignoring. Speaking the truth is not condemning. Nor is it pronouncing judgment. And that's important because speaking the truth in love, again, it begins with a humble realization. Now I want you to look at Romans 2 verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read this quick, make a couple of points, and then uh, we'll be wrapping up. Romans 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O, old, I'm sorry, o man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Did you notice again that list of sins that towards the end of chapter 1 that Paul gives us? Are you guilty of any of them? For us to be speaking the truth in love, to begin with the humble realization, we need to realize again that we are also sinners. And we have a propensity to do that which is unrighteous and an affront to God. Not just you, but myself included. That means this, that I am no better than anyone else. You know, we, we have a tendency, and this is probably a part of our, our fallen nature. We have a tendency to kind of rank the severity of sins by the ones that we aren't tempted to commit. Don't we? You know, if you don't struggle with something, it's hard to understand how somebody might struggle with it. And if you're not careful, it's easy to pass judgment on them for that. Now we need to speak the truth in love, 
but it's not our job to condemn. You can condemn acts, but not people. Do you understand that? See, this is important. And it's easier for us to do this effectively when we've spent that time in front of the mirror. If you, if you spend the time and you, and you journal and you write down every sin you've committed over the last five years, for one, you'll probably need a pretty decent-sized journal. I know I would. But two, I would get done with that just completely humbled by the fact that even with the indwelling Holy Spirit, I make mistake after mistake after mistake. But by the grace of God, I don't make more. Man, with that in our hearts, we're ready to confront sin in the world. If you skip that step, it's easy to judge people and condemn them. People who are still walking in unrighteousness don't need our condemnation. They need to know how we escaped. They don't need for us to judge them. They need to know how we escaped. Speaking the truth in love demands our humility. And why are we speaking up against it? Because we want people to live in such a way that doesn't make us uncomfortable? Because we want people to see God? It's important questions for us to answer. I have a challenge. I have a four-part challenge for you. And at this time, I'm going to ask the band to come up. After this challenge, we'll pray and we'll have another song of worship before you're dismissed this morning. Number one, first part of our challenge. God's existence is made clear in His creation. Have you accepted Him? You know, whether you're sitting in this room or if you're watching online, whether today or some other day, take a moment, look outside. Feel the, feel the air on your skin. Notice the animals. Notice the plant life. The diversity of the landscape. This design is absolutely impeccable. Now, if you, if you work backward, if you come back and even look in the mirror and see yourself, the human eye so intricately made, it, 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 it blows my mind how that we can see things, we can see shapes, that we can see colors. All of the emotions that you feel, the fact that you have your conscience pricked when you've done something wrong, there are so many things that you could think about that are going to draw you to the existence of our Creator. God's existence is made clear in His creation. Have you accepted Him? Second part of the challenge. Have you rejected God in favor of His creation? Maybe you call it Mother Nature or something else. You've made something else God when you've done that. Number three. Are you or have you become a Christian who looks the other way when it comes to sin? Believe in the lie that society has told you that confronting sin means that you hate somebody. Nothing could be further from the truth. Number four, are you seeking to bring people into the light or condemning them from their darkness or because of their darkness? Just some things for us to be thinking about. Let's pray and we have another song. Of worship. God, we just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Rome that is so applicable for us today. 
God, I thank you that you rescued me from a tailspin. That for whatever the reason, God, you, you chose to call me your own. God, you are a righteous God and mankind is most certainly unrighteous. God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. That you have given us an opportunity for rescue. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.